0: Thank you, Miller. Uh, Well, good morning again. Good to see you. Um, Boom. Uh, Some of you might know that this past uh, February I went on a sailing trip with some of my friends to the British Virgin Islands, which is a little—I feel a little embarrassed saying that publicly because it's—you know—just feels so bougie. But we went, and it was awesome. There was nine of us that. basically did life together on this catamaran, this you know, this boat. We we ate there and slept and lived together for, you know, a week or so. It was disgusting by the end of it. It was amazing. It's an awesome trip. And we didn't we only went sailing a few times. Most of the time we just kind of turned on the engine and kinda of bounced around from island to island. But there was one time where we did go sailing. We tried it out and things went uh, not good. We went out into this open channel and it was a beautiful day and we we, we pulled out the sail just giant thing and we're, we're enjoying it none of us are really experienced sailors I've never been so I have zero experience there was one person with us who has done it before and he was kind of our our, our captain of sorts um, and so we get out there and then out of nowhere this storm blows in really beautiful sky and then it's on us I think the technical term is a squall a squall appeared, and the wind fills our sail and propels us forward very fast, and so things get very chaotic very quickly. The wind, uh, the waves get very big; they're very choppy, and and we're holding on to everything as this, as the boat is rocking and just ripping through the water. And it really did feel like a movie where where dishes are flying and smashing and breaking, and it's just chaos. One guy got really seasick, and he's throwing up off the side of the boat. Everybody's screaming at each other, trying to tell you know, and yelling instructions to everybody, and the. All we needed to do was just pull the sail in so that we could slow down and stop. But the, the, the motor that brought the sail in was decided at that moment to stop working. And so we couldn't pull the sail in. And we're just, you know, these idiots out there just getting tossed around. And uh, one of our friends, the only thing we could do was find this uh, wrench-like thing where he would go to the front of the boat and, and manually crank the sail back, you know, around the pole thingy, which I think is the technical term for that, um, cranks it around the pole thingy so that we could stop. And eventually, after 15, 20 minutes or so, he cranks it around the pole thingy. The the squall passes. The waves die down. We all recover from, you know, our collective panic attacks. And it was was awful. It It was not fun. You're supposed to be in the BVI having fun. Not fun. And uh, all, I, all I wanted in that little pocket of time was for it to stop, was just to get off the boat, get my feet on solid ground again. All I wanted was to be anchored to something bigger than me that was calm, that was stable, that was secure. Be, being disconnected, just thrown into the ocean, tossed to and fro, again, not fun, and you're sick. Here's why, I, here's why I bring that up, because I think every one of us in some way or another experiences that feeling on a small scale of just going through life, of just going through a day-to-day life where crazy things happen. You're going about your business, life happens, and you instantly feel out of control. You instantly feel completely vulnerable, completely just at the mercy of the elements around you. You're not anchored to anything. You're just, you're just being tossed through life, seasick as you go. And what we're all craving for in those moments is stability. Stability, where life feels secure and like you're standing on solid ground. But where do you get stability in a world that is so unstable? That's what Psalm 125 is about, actually. Psalm 125 is offering to us, you and me, stability. And so what I want to do this morning is look through this. I want to to highlight three different things about this. What it is, why we need it and how to get it. The stability that this psalm offers, what it is, why we need it, how to get it. So first, uh, what it is. Look at verse 1. It says, Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. Now, if you remember, these psalms of ascent were originally sung by these pilgrims that were making their way to Jerusalem. And Mount Zion was the name of the hill in Jerusalem, that the temple was built on top of, and Jerusalem as a city is built on top of a mountain. So Mount Zion is just another name for like the tip of this big giant mountain. And as they're making their way to this mountain, he's thinking of this image, and he says, that, "You know, a mountain—you it, it, you can't move it. You can't pick up and move a mountain like you can move a rock. It's just this—it's anchored to the ground. It's this picture of stability. This picture of..." Permanence. In fact, that's why he says it abides forever. It's unchanging. It's steady. And he says those who trust in the Lord are like that. They get this enduring, stable, permanent security. And then he kind of doubles down on this idea in verse 2. Look at it. He says, as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. Now, the city of Jerusalem was literally encircled by other mountain ranges, and so it kind of created this natural defense. It was like this, secure, this fortress of security. There was, you know, you can't naturally break into it. It's very difficult. And he's saying in the same way, the Lord surrounds his people. He hems you in on all sides where there's no, there, there's no kind of vulnerable spot. You're protected on all fronts that way forever, now you have to, you kind of it raises this question. Okay, what do, what do all these images actually mean, though? Safe, secure, protected, because if you remember, these people are pilgrims. They're walking through you know open, open you know wild areas to get to Jerusalem, which means they are anything but secure. They're anything but stable. They're, they're exposed to the elements. They're exposed to wild animals. They're exposed to robbers. No doubt, somebody along the way through all these years of of sojourning to Jerusalem, somebody lost their life, somebody got hurt. This was a dangerous thing to do this. So it can't mean if you trust in the Lord, you're protected from danger. If you trust in the Lord, nothing bad ever happens to you. So what does it mean then? What does it mean if you trust in the Lord, you're, you're immovable like a mountain? Well, it may be helpful to think about what it's not. Uh, you 're probably familiar with at least somewhat of the plot line of the Lord of the Rings. I know some of you are. Um, the Lord of the Rings, the main bad guy, if you can even use that word. the main villain is this, this guy named Sauron. and he decided to pour all of his cruelty, all of his power, his, his, basically his heart and his soul into this ring. And then he puts on this ring and he 's like super sauron he 's just smashing everybody, taking over the world he 's super powerful. But then he gets in this fight and he loses his ring. And the moment he loses his ring, which has his heart and soul bound up into it, he essentially kind of evaporates and gets reduced to an eye in a skyscraper looking over Middle Earth. And and I'm not not a Tolkien expert by any means, but I have heard people say that Tolkien was making a deeper point with this whole storyline, that he's making this point that if you Pour your identity, if you pour your heart and soul into something outside of yourself that is vulnerable, that's losable, then you are by definition an unstable person. If you're if you're if your hopes and dreams, if the thing that you are trusting in, is this thing outside of you that can be lost, then you're always vulnerable, you're always insecure, you're never stable. And that's the whole point of that. Storyline, and that makes sense to us. We say, "Yeah, that would be very dumb to pour my heart and soul into something that could be lost." But the reality is, this is what we do. We're always doing this. We're always putting our hope, we're always trusting, and we're leaning the weight of all that we are into something that is fragile, temporary. You know, our career, money, relationships, our reputation—all the stuff is losable, and therefore, to Maybe Tolkien was onto something that if you if you trust in something outside of yourself that you can lose, you're always going to be unstable. So, how does trust in the Lord any different? How is that? How does that make you immovable, stable like a like a mountain? Well, look again at verse. Uh, look again at verse one. He says, "Those who trust in the Lord." And you may notice that little detail that the the word Lord is in all capital letters. And you might know this, but anytime in your English Bible, whenever that word Lord is in all capital letters, that's the editor's attempt to try to translate a funky Hebrew word called Yahweh, which is essentially a, a form of a Hebrew verb of to be, being. And it goes back to this story in Exodus chapter 3 when Moses has this encounter with God, and God says, hey, I want you to go to Pharaoh. And tell him to let my people go. He's enslaved and, and captured all of my people. They're in bondage. They're miserable. Go tell them, stop it. And Moses says, I've got some problems with that plan, but okay, let's talk about this. Um, if I were to go and do this, who shall I tell him sent me? What's your name, in other words? And God looks at him and says, I want you to go and tell Pharaoh, I am sent you. Same, same uh, Hebrew word, Yahweh. Tell him that's what my name is. I am, I am. Which is God's way of saying, I I have no beginning and I have no end. I just am. I've always been, I never will not be. I am being itself. That's who I am. Now if you were to sync up your hope to being itself, your hope is now no longer vulnerable. You are locked in on something that is eternal, that is permanent, that is bedrock, that is anchored. Which means you can lose everything in this life. You can lose your reputation. You can lose your job. You can lose loved ones. You can lose your very life. And it doesn't change what your hope is anchored into. Because it is a firm, fixed, eternal mountain. Because it's in the Lord. So bad news can come your way you can get the pathology report you can get the performance review you can get the the eviction notice and it can it can be crushing it can be painful you feel like you're 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 tossed in a in a in a sea where you have no anchor and yet at the same time even in the midst of chaos there is a sense that you're still standing on solid ground it's it's hard to explain but there is a sense that even though the world feels Chaotic. you are still rooted to something permanent because your hope is in something permanent. That's the stability. This ability to go through life with a sense that you're still standing on solid ground even if there's chaos around you. So here's the second question. Why do we need to know this? Like if that's just a truism, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion. Great. Why do we need to know this? Well, let's look at it. Uh, Look at verse 3. If you notice, there's a little bit of a shift as the psalm kind of keeps going. He's been thinking about what endures, what's permanent, what lasts forever, and then he starts thinking, okay, what doesn't last forever? And the answer is wickedness, which is, I know, an intense word, but look what he says in verse 3. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. Now, he uses this image of a scepter. A scepter is like a, is, a, is like a rod that like a king would have or somebody who's in formal authority. It was this, it was this picture of being in charge. And he's saying it, it's, it's like wickedness has moved into the earth and it looks like it's in charge. It looks like it has set up shop. It's ruling. It's reigning. It's, it's, it's on the throne. And yet, he goes on and he says, verse 3, it shall not rest there meaning it's not permanent. Wickedness has a has an expiration date stamped into the side of it. It will not last. In fact, he, you see the same idea in verse five. He says, but those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. This is a way of saying for those people who have deliberately chosen to walk on a morally twisted path, God will just lead them out of the land of permanence. They will essentially be banished, vanquished. He'll just let them go on their own way. So why would we need to know that those who trust in the Lord abide forever and those uh, who pursue wickedness don't? And here's why. Two reasons. The first is because it's just easy to give in. It's easy to give in. This is, this is what verse 3 is about. It says, wickedness will not rest in the land, lest the righteous stretch out their hands and do wrong. If you don't think that wickedness is temporary, then you're going to be tempted to stretch out your hands and do wrong. Because it's just, it's, it's, it's just it's, wickedness seems so much easier. In many cases, it's just more fun. So, for example, um, it's going to be really easy for us. We're going to be tempted to give in to our cynicism of just, hey, the, the world is the way that it is. Memphis has always been this way. Memphis has always been racially broken, economically broken. Why do anything about it? Doesn't do anything. Nothing ever changes. It's easy to just give in. It's easy to give in to the, the American pressure of just accumulate more stuff. You need more clothes, your kids need iPads, you need a new phone, you need more closet space, you need more real estate, you need more square footage, you need more. Go get it. It's just easy to buy into that way of thinking we need more, 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 more. It's, it's, we're going to be tempted to give in when we're hurt, when people have, have wounded us. It's going to be very tempting for us to retaliate, to want to seek revenge. And it's like the psalmist is saying, don't do it wickedness doesn't last. It doesn't endure. Of course, it seems so much easier. It seems in many ways more natural, but don't give in. And then here's the second reason why we need this. Because we're also tempted to give up. We're tempted to give up. Seeking to do good is just wearisome. In fact, look at verse four. He says, do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts. Why is he asking God to bless people who do good? Because when you do good, you know that you just hit a point where it's just like it doesn't, it doesn't feel worth it. It's exhausting, it's wearisome. You, you, let's say you give some money to somebody that's in need and then you find out after the fact that they were lying to you and taking advantage of you. Or let's say that you... You lovingly move towards somebody that you're in a conflict with and you seek to reconcile, but by you moving towards them it only kind of uh, exacerbated y'all's conflict and now things are worse by you initiating something. Or you, you lovingly try to engage one of your friends gently over something that's going on in their life that you want to talk with them about and they get offended and feel like you're being too nosy and all these attempts of doing it, it just backfires and eventually you're just like, it's just not worth it. Just easy to give up. And it's like the psalmist is saying, don't give up. Keep, keep going. Keep doing good. Keep doing justice. Keep pouring yourself out for people in need. Keep living sacrificially for the sake of your neighbors. In fact, Paul, at the end of his great chapter in 1 Corinthians 15, on the resurrection, here's what he says. Listen to these themes. He says, be steadfast, immovable, Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. It lasts, it endures, even if it doesn't seem like it. Final question. So how do you get this? How how do you get a stability, an inner stability, that uh, that gives you the strength to not give in and to not give up? It seems like, from verse 1 at least, pretty easy. Just trust in the Lord. Done. Let's close in prayer. Well, uh, it's not that simple. Uh, It says those who trust in the Lord, essentially they're immovable. But here's the thing. There was one time in human history where that was not true. There was one time where someone trusted the Lord with everything in them and they were not immovable. They were shaken to the core and obliterated. Think about who Jesus is. Nobody trusted in the Lord like Jesus. In fact, if you look at his ministry in John chapter 5, Jesus says, quote, truly truly I say to you the son can do nothing of his own accord but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. In other words, he's saying I am so dependent on my father. I trust him so much. I don't I don't do anything apart from his approval. Everything that I do is connected to Him. It's out of a, out of a trust in Him. In fact, He even says the same idea a few chapters later, John eight. I do nothing of my own authority. He trusts God with everything, every thought He has, everything He says, everything He does. He trusts the Lord with the fact He even trusts His very life. Puts His life in God's hands. Remember, on the night before He was crucified, He's in the garden and He's praying. And he's He's looking on the barrel of the cross and He says, "I'm not." thrilled about this idea. Is there any other way we can do this? And then he prays, but not my will be, but your will be done. He puts his life in God's hands, this ultimate sign of trust. No one trusted the Lord like Jesus, and yet no one was more undone than Jesus. As he's in the garden praying that prayer, Remember, he's so stressed out. He's so freaking out. The Bible says he's sweating blood. He's, just, he's shaken to the core of his being. And then the next day when he's hung up on a cross and he's nailed to a cross, he's writhing. He's screaming in agony. He's, just, he's getting obliterated. Now, how does that make any sense? How can someone who ultimately trusts the Lord with everything? I mean, he, he should be the model of this is what trust in the Lord looks like. All praise, all honor, all glory should be given to him. And yet, he is being treated as if he is walking the morally twisted path. He is being treated as if he is the worst wicked person on the planet and he is being banished, he's being purged from the earth. Why? He did it for you. He's taking your place. He is crawling up and he's receiving everything that you and I deserve so that you and I could receive everything that he deserves. He gets ground down to dust so that you and I can be permanent forever like a mountain. He's trading places with us. I heard the story... uh, uh, earlier this month, I'm not a huge soccer fan, I'm not anti-soccer, but I'm, just don't watch it, don't follow it. And I heard about this story, maybe you've you've heard of it, this past May there was a Dutch team, uh, Ajax, the Ajax team won their tournament, won their kind of regional uh, soccer championship and they got this giant trophy thing. And because of the pandemic, not many of their fans were able to go to many of their games. And so what the team decided to do was they took this trophy, they put it in a furnace, and they melted it down to liquid. And then from that liquid, they fashioned 42,000 little metal stars out of that liquid and then gave all those stars to all their season pass holders. There's an awesome video of it online of them making this video and giving it to their fans as a way of saying, I know this year was weird, but we won, and we want you to share in this victory that we won. Now, think about that from the vantage point of the fans who did nothing. They didn't play in any game. They didn't, show, they didn't kick one ball. They didn't even attend the game because of the pandemic. And they get a piece of the trophy. They get credit for this championship accomplishment. That is an amazing picture of the gospel of grace. What Jesus does is he goes to the cross and he defeats sin and Satan in the grave. He wins this victory and establishes our redemption and the renovation of the world. He accomplishes it all. What did we do? Nothing. We, we're over here with our wavering faith and we're doubting and we're moody and we're back and forth and we're wishy-washy and we're, we're up and down. and we're, all, we're, not, we're not immovable at all. And he accomplishes it all and gives it to us completely by grace. And that's the key. When you know that what he did for you is given by grace, you know what that means? It means I did nothing to earn it, and therefore, I can do nothing to lose it. And that gives you incredible inner stability. If I, did not, if I know in my heart of hearts, I did nothing to earn this. It was just given to me by complete grace. Therefore, I can do nothing to lose it. I can't sin my way out of this. I can't screw up my way out of this. Nothing is more stable than this. Grace gives you an inner stability. How do you get it? How do you get it? It's not through your efforts. It's not through being good. It's not through trying harder. It's by trust. It's just by simply trusting, which is a way of saying, I'm just looking to Jesus to provide me with something that I can't provide myself. It doesn't have to be perfect. There is no perfect trust. In fact, Jesus himself says the only faith that is needed is faith the size of a mustard seed, which is like faith the size of a poppy seed. Jesus is saying, you you look at me with your poppy seed-sized, doubt-ridden faith, and guess what? That hooks you up to I am, and that that hooks you up to grace that is unconditional. Nothing will give you stability like this. Nothing will give you inner stability unless you hook up to the eternal, unconditional grace of the person and work of Jesus. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. It's an invitation for you this morning. Let me pray. Oh, Father, would you give us a vision and a new awareness of your grace? that we might drink deeply of who you are and what you have done and would that liberate us, would that, would that inflame our hearts and, and uh, strengthen and deepen our trust so that some of us in here who may have no faith, I pray that it would produce even just a poppy seed size faith. I pray for those of us in here that have poppy seed size faith, I pray that it would expand it and deepen it so that we would see you as more beautiful and as more believable than anything else that this world has to offer. Strengthen us and give us a stability only by our being anchored to the rock of Christ. And it's in his name we pray.